0: Hey, good morning and welcome to Breakthrough Walls. I'm Ken Walls and I'm your host. And today I have the one, the only Dr. Terry Wager on the show. This guy is absolutely amazing. So do me a favor, do your friends and family a favor and stop everything you're doing and share this out share this out so we can, this guy's story, this guy's wisdom, his brilliance is going to blow you away. So um, just share this out so we can get a bunch of people on here and break through some walls today. We'll see you in just a second. We're back. Let me bring Terry on. Dr. Terry Weed, you're welcome to the show.
1: Well, thank you very much. Appreciate being here.
0: Dude, it's good thank to you have too. you on here. Good to have you on here. So we have, I don't know, Hazard, but what's up, Hazard? How you doing? Um, Nick Ogilvy, my brother from another mother right there. Nick, good to see you. Um, so, so Terry, I as you know, I think I started this about five and a half years ago. Um, And honestly, I started this show because I was stuck in some stuff. And I thought, you know, I learned somewhere that if you just listen to enough other people's stories, you'll find your story and your breakthrough. And 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 I've I've done I'm still working on that, but I've had some breakthroughs since then. So I'm excited to have you here, man. You're a great guy and, and a good friend, and I, I appreciate you, man. Uh, so. Feelings mutual. I'm glad to be here. Yeah. So start with um I like to start with telling everybody where you were born and raised. Start there. Oh,
1: I I I don't like that question because I moved around a lot as a kid. Um But I was born in Chicago and then quickly moved to Minnesota. And I did the first three years of school in Minnesota, so third grade. And then I moved out to the West Coast, and I've been on the West Coast pretty much ever since, except for traveling. Um, And we landed in Seattle, and I did 15 years in Seattle. It sounds like a prison sentence, but uh, it felt like it too. Uh, And uh, then I moved around a little bit down to Las Vegas and Arizona, and I did. some time there and then i ended up staying in oregon for a number of years and uh because down in las vegas and arizona if you could believe it my life kind of got way off track and uh yeah went back up to oregon to, to get things straightened out in my mind and in my life um and then uh i ended up from oregon going down to california and going to school uh for psychology and then uh when I got done with school, I was actually working as a correctional psychologist for a number of years, and then my mom and dad were getting older, and my dad was pretty sick, and my my uh, the prison I was working in closed, and so I moved back up to Oregon, and I've been here since. I, I, met a, I, met a, I met a girl at the same time, and we have been together for about 13 years, and so...
0: Wow. So you were working in a prison. Let's, let's back up. I want to unpack this a little bit. First off, I lived in Seattle for a year and, um, the year that I was out there, I lived in, I started in Kent, ended up in Magnolia. Um, but the year that I was out there, it was the most beautiful place on earth. I mean it was literally there was I'm like, where's all the rain everybody talked about because it didn't <laughs> rain that much at all and somebody said, oh that's a, a myth that we made up to keep people away and, and I remember um, saying, didn't, didn't not work. not didn't so much a myth
1: but way overstated. it's probably about yeah. hundred days a year or, or 120 days a year that it rains same same with Oregon. Um, yeah. it rains it rains a lot but it's it's in little stints and then summers are pretty nice but and uh, it's it's know,
0: like a misty rain it's not it's it can be from what i remember i don't remember downpours but maybe yeah, there, there,
1: there's there you, you you get a little bit of downpour and you get a lot of mist um yeah, yeah. but uh, you know one of the things i will say is it doesn't matter where you are if you're not good in your mind and you're not you're not good in your emotions any place you are sucks that's and right. That's, that's where I was when I was younger. Is I wasn't I wasn't emotionally good, and I wasn't really uh, mentally all there because I was so emotionally disturbed at that point. That what
0: what what um what was the I mean I I can't I mean you said you moved around a lot as a kid so. Where I mean, where did you go to school? What schools did you attend? Where That's did you what did it. Uh, you know? I
1: I I went to a Catholic school and it ruined me. Um, no, I'm just kidding. Um, for all you Catholics, I'm just kidding. Uh, but um, no, I I I honestly uh, I moved I moved in the third grade and it, it's really interesting because in the Midwest they do um, all your phonics and your grammar and all that stuff. Right around the third grade. And so you move into learning that in the third grade and in the Pacific Northwest, they do it in the second grade. And so a lot of the stuff that was in the third grade, I missed when I moved at the third grade. And so they put me back a year, but they didn't just put me back a year. They actually took me out of the third grade in the school I was going to and put me in the second grade within a week's span, realizing that I couldn't do the work. Oh, Wow. Me as a kid, I was like, I'm stupid. I'm dumb. I don't get it. I don't, I'm, I'm a bad student. I'm, I just, I suck. And yeah. I kind of wore that throughout. And then, you know, I started at public school and then I did go to a, a, a private Catholic school. And uh, I don't know if you know anything about private schools, but I, and I don't know if it's just this Catholic school that I went to, but it was very um, clicky and I didn't know how to break in and I didn't know I had to break in. But I was like, you know now uh i did my second grade year in in that uh public school and then i moved to a third grade uh in in the private school and yeah. just did not fit in and i did not know how to fit in and i did not feel good about it and pretty much every day sucked and it was like geez <laughs> you know wow and, and you know i don't know if it sucked just because of my attitude but that that had probably something to do with it, but I just didn't know how to connect with people.
0: And- I feel like I'm watching the beginning of what about Bob? <laughs> I'm <was> kidding. Terrible. <laughs> yeah. So, so was there anything, I mean, I feel like, you know, looking back on my life the, and the, I've, you know, interviewed a lot of people that there's always some kind of a, um, an event, a person, a string of events, um, situations that kind of push us in the direction that we go as adults. Um, What comes to mind for you when, when, you know, I mean, was, what, what do you think generated all this, these feelings of not, not good enoughness? You know, um, I don't know
1: if it was like, certain people or, or, or what, but I mean, just um, I grew up and my dad was really hard on me and my mom was really, um, uh, I don't know what the word is to be nice, but she was always like, don't go to your dad. I'll fix it. And so I learned manipulation pretty well. Oh, wow. You have to to kind of go around the people that, that are are tough on you. And so I, I learned this kind of skating around. And if anything got tough, I'd go around it. And I I learned how to um, do that manipulation or avoidance of danger kind of thing. And it wasn't really good. And uh, I didn't know that that was happening. I just figured, you know, my dad's really a a hard guy to get along with. And so I was scared of him most of my life. And then, you know, I don't know if you uh, have had any kind of more, uh, what would the word be? Uh, Rigid kind of upbringing around uh, uh, church or or uh, religion but I always felt like I was going to hell and it was you know continually brought to my attention that one I didn't understand what God was or what it was all about I was in catechism for, for uh, a year or two trying to get caught up on what I was supposed to know and it just scared the hell out of me and I didn't know what it was but I'm pretty sure I'm going to hell um, <laughs> and, you know uh, yeah, second grader, third grader, not knowing what this is, but you know Jesus wow. is up on that cross, and that's what he did to his son. What is he going to do to me? Um,
0: <laughs> like, wow,
1: darn! Um, I'm really freaked out. Uh, I almost swore there, uh, but uh, you know, uh, <laughs> right. I just I, I, I remember growing up in this uh, consistent, continuous. Uh, feeling of of unsafe and terror and and not knowing what's going to happen but and not feeling okay wow through it and so you know um I just did what I was supposed to do the best I could and I don't think I did very good and I didn't understand like I I, I was uh, quote dyslexic and I was I was quote ADHD and I think I was just scared to death so I was trying to move as fast as I could to not get
0: hit um, you know, wow, and- <laughs> dude. So, so you, um, you, you, um, wow. I can relate to all of that, by the way, except for the Catholic school thing. I never did that. Um, where did, where were you when you graduated high school? Where were you living? Well, I didn't graduate.
1: Um, <laughs> oh. Honestly, oh, um, so, Uh, I got done with Catholic school and my mom, my mom honestly saw that I was having problems. And she started, you know, in about fourth grade, started bringing me to psychologists. And she always said that, you know, you're okay, but um, you're going through some stuff. And I think it'd be good to talk to people. And I heard you're broken and I need to fix you. And and so I was interpreting stuff completely wrong. But I, I always thought my mom thought there was something wrong with me trying to just tell me that I'm okay. Um, and so I always believed, and and I, I continued to have this idea that um, everybody thought I was broken and I did too. Um, wow. so uh, I got done with eighth grade and my mom's like enough Catholic school, we're gonna put you back into public school and see if you have a better experience there, separate from all of those people that you went with because in the Catholic school I went to, you went to this Catholic school and then you went to this Catholic high school. And she's like, no, nah, you, you don't want to do that. I don't want to make you do that. And so I went to uh, um, a school called Edmonds High. Uh, and I went there and I did ninth grade. And then 10th grade, I started skipping pretty much every day. Um, and I had already been drinking a little bit to kind of take the edge off of fear. Yeah. And, uh, the 11th grade, I was just like, I don't I don't think I can ever do this again. And I quit. Uh, but I didn't, wow. did, you know. Put my flag in the ground, saying I quit. I just started skipping every class every day. And then my mom wow. found out about halfway through the eleventh grade. She went to the administration, and she worked for the district at the time. And she went to the administration and said, "What can we do to get him back in?" And and she made you know some kind of you know deal the way my mom always did. And she got me back in, and and I had to sign this paper say I would do I would do everything they told me to. And I, I you know and as soon as I got done signing that paper to make my mom happy, I left and never went back
0: um wow and And that was 11th grade
1: yeah and uh i just i quit and then um i was just done with school and i went and got a job at jack-in-the-box because i wanted to earn money and um i didn't know what i was doing and i was pretty uh messed up on alcohol and, and i was doing other things too and just you know i i didn't know how to actually live life and i had one or two drinking friends that that really corroborated my story, and uh, yeah. you know, um, agreed with me that my life was pretty bad, and I probably should do more drinking with them. And so I was, like, yeah, that's, that sounds like a great plan. And yeah. <laughs> and so I did that yeah. for a while. Yeah. And uh, it didn't turn out so good. And so I actually ended up getting sober in '98. Uh, after how old all-
0: how old were you? How old were you when you was, got sober? Eighteen.
1: The first time we
0: really wow.
1: I was 18 the first time and I, I i went back to my mom and I was like, I'm all screwed up and I don't know how to live my life. And um she freaked out the way every mom would and got me into treatment and it was a big deal. Wow. I did a 30-day spin dry and um then okay, <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna
0: <laughs> spin dry. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so you do 30 days and then they told you go to call And so I went to the 12-step programs and yeah. you know, NA and AA and all those different things. Um, and uh, I started uh, trying to do that and, and started trying to understand something different. And I, I got to tell you that it was the first time I started feeling kind of okay. And it was cause I was in a room full of people who weren't okay. that told me I was okay. Um, and they'd been through it too. And uh, I started, my life started getting back together and I started working on cars and I had a, vocational rehab kind of thing where um, I went and learned how to actually work on cars. I got ASE certified for brakes and um, uh, front end alignment and all that kind of stuff. And uh, then uh, I, I stayed sober for about three years and uh, things were kind of okay. Um, and then the fear started creeping back in and I wasn't actually knowing how to work through that fear. And i ended up running way down to las vegas and i started drinking you
0: you were in seattle still at this point yeah okay and your mom and dad lived in seattle still yeah yeah. i I, I lived
1: sort of with them and sort of with my best friend and then took months off going to other people who were in the program and and uh staying with them trying to avoid my parents because that's what i learned how to do and right uh, right so i learned i learned avoidance pretty good
0: and so things weren't going very well for you in Seattle. And yep. you're like, wait, I I think that the solution is Las Vegas. So, there we go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, dude, it makes all the sense to, in the world to me. So, um, well, my best thinking. yeah, so you went to Vegas and you were ha- so 21 ish.
1: I was about 21.
0: Yeah. So you and, ended and, uh, up in, in Vegas and um, probably won thousands of dollars a week playing the slots and whatnot. I, you know,
1: I was afraid to gamble because, I one, one, I didn't have that much money and, and I'd probably gamble it away. And although my name is Wager, I I don't really like gambling. Um, <laughs> yeah, right. And, uh, you know, I, I went down there because a friend of mine is like, I got an opportunity down there and I want you to go with me. And so I was like, okay, I'll go with you. And he was supposedly in the program too. Um, and I, 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 ended up, uh, down there, um, more scared than I ever had been not knowing exactly what I was supposed to do. Um, not really having any kind of backup and I wasn't going to meetings. I didn't know where they were. And I didn't
0: know that you could just look in a phone
1: book and find them. Um, and so, wait,
0: wait, wait, wait. So you had, you were still sober. Yeah. I was still sober and moved to Vegas.
1: Yeah. and and, uh isn't
0: that what they call a pre-planned unconscious relapse (laughs) about
1: six months later i was like you know i'm 21 all my problems
0: right right
1: all my problems were because i was immature it's not because i I have a problem with drugs or alcohol it was i was immature and i didn't know how to actually do it so i think i'll be okay now that i'm 21 and uh that was the worst case
0: yeah Yeah. I again makes sense, makes sense. So, so you started drinking again in Vegas. Yeah. Um, I'm sure everything got better from there. Yes, yes,
1: everything got better. Uh, the sun came out because I was in Vegas, not because everything got better. But, uh, right. uh You know, um, and then I just started getting worse and worse and worse. And I, I actually, um, I was making some good choices and some not so good choices. And, and one of the good choices was to go and actually. Uh, go to automotive school so i went down to arizona and uh then bad choice i met somebody that was dealing a bunch of pot and so he became my best friend um and then i just went down from there and i started doing all kinds of things that was was worse than i was doing before and um you know uh, wow. in the, in the true sense of going back out i did it right um yeah. and i ended up just messed up and in about 1993 i i burned out all of my my bridges and burned out everything and and i got kicked out of the the school for automotive um for for behavior and, and all that stuff and i just i didn't know how to do anything
0: yeah yeah and so and, i moved you back were in up. arizona you were yeah, in arizona. arizona
1: and then i moved back to uh vegas for a minute and then i actually moved right back up to uh i had to go find my parents because they had moved from seattle down to oregon Uh, My dad had retired during that time and uh, I was out of touch with my parents for the whole time I was gone. Um, And so I had to go find my parents and ask permission to come back and and get right. And uh, gracefully, they said yes with a bunch of stipulations that I didn't follow very well, but I tried to. Um, And then I I moved back up there in about the end of 93. And uh, then from 93 uh, to... 94, I worked at Applebee's trying to get my license back so I could go work on cars again. And um, I found out that at Applebee's, I didn't like how Applebee's did their cooking, but I really fell in love with cooking. And so I started cooking for a living. And uh, wow. I ended up with a job at one of the best restaurant chains in Portland as a line cook. And I did that for about five
0: years. Wow. Five years. And, uh, Okay, so so you 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 wow, I mean some twists and turns in that that whole whole story. Um, I'm sure there are a lot of details that we probably shouldn't even talk about, but um, but so so, uh, and and I say that not in judgment. Trust me, I've been there, bought the t-shirt, man. So, um, you know, so you were back in Oregon, uh, uh, Portland area, or. Isn't yeah. that where everybody lives in Oregon? Uh, um, I'm I'm kidding. It's the metropolis. <laughs> right, right, right. Uh, Oregon's beautiful, by the way. I've been there. It's it is it's beautiful, it is. beautiful. Um, so, so you were um back in Oregon working as a. I'm trying to put the see this hat. You had to be close to thirty by now. Like, not quite. Not quite. I was about twenty six. I mean, at the end of working for that uh, restaurant, you said for five years, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. So um, I actually got sober during that time. Um,
0: oh, okay.
1: I got sober in 1995. Um, okay. And, you know, uh, uh, I just, I drank until I didn't like, you know, the the first time I got sober, this is this is really interesting. The first time I got sober, I was afraid I was going to die. And then in 1995, when I got sober, I didn't care if I died. I just couldn't stand the pain and I couldn't stand the, the, the head noise and I couldn't stand how I woke up every day hoping that I didn't wake up. i like, God dang it. I woke up again. Yeah. And, uh, that's, uh, you know, and then I got a DUI, um, doing my thing after, after work one night, after, after I got done cooking all night, I went and, um, did the stupid thing and driving while I was drinking, you know, and uh, yeah. it was it was a godsend because the cop pulled me over and I was like, just take me to jail. Um, I'm done. And I didn't realize when I said I'm done, I actually meant drinking. Um, but uh, that was the last time I had a drink. And wow. the next day, one of the people that worked at the restaurant, I'm getting a little misty about this, but one of the people that worked at the restaurant was a good friend of mine. Um, and I have no idea why, but he really liked me. And he, he was there for me all the time and he protected my position at work because they, uh, my head chef wanted to fire me, but he didn't want me to go. And he saw something in me. I didn't see. So he protected my position because he was really, a a, a high up in the business, um, guy. And, yeah. uh, he actually had me move restaurants after I got, after I got out of jail and everything. But, uh, he, uh. He bailed me out and I went straight to an AA meeting. And I was just like, I don't know how to live my life. I don't know how to do this. And that was my that was eleven to five of ninety-five.
0: And I haven't had a drink or a drug since. Wow. So, so um God, I can so relate to that, man. Don't want to live, but you 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 I I can remember for me, I was like, I don't want to live anymore. Um, but I'm too much of a sissy to do anything about it <laughs> well
1: and, and, and funny, it's, it's, it wasn't too much of a sissy i was afraid i was gonna fuck that up too oops <laughs> right. um i was afraid i was gonna mess up um often right. myself and i would be like a paraplegic or or something even more yeah. than how i felt and so yeah. i just i would not do that and so i was gonna drink my death myself to death but i didn't do that very well either
0: um, it's hard to do when you pass out in the middle of trying to you know <laughs> like oh. yeah
1: and um, I wasn't one of the people that blacked out, so I remembered everything that happened. I I, I would what? pass out I would drink myself to sleep, but I I, I never
0: blacked out. So you I never remember. blacked out? Never. Wow. Wow. You know what a brownout is? <laughs> that, that's no. Um, yeah. So <laughs> um, what's that? What's a brownout? It's an extended period of days and days and days of a blackout okay okay yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Been, been there um so so um okay so you were co- i i, I want to know where the doctor thing came from or are you not really <laughs> well
1: i just put that on there because it looks no um <laughs> i was like you know that's a very that so I, I i added it um but
0: uh no um, my wife my <laughs> wife loves your story by the way well
1: thank you uh, no, so in, in, in 1997, um, I had been sober for two years, and I finally got my shot, and my head chef called me over to have a little meeting with me, um, this is a different head chef, uh, and he, he brought me in, and it was he was looking at promoting me into being a, a sous chef, because I was really not getting along with people in 1995 when I got sober and I had to learn everything again, learn how to actually have friends and things like that. But I did really well with with following directions and, and I started to excel. And I was working in about five or six of their different restaurants, um, covering shifts for people. And and um, I was their go-to person for, for broiling food or cooking over an open fire, all of their steaks and fish and stuff like that. And so it was my chance and he goes, so, um, what do you want? Where do you see yourself next five years and what do you want to do in this company? And I looked at him and I go, you know, Mike, um I think I want to be a psychologist. And I, I looked around like, who the hell said that? And uh, uh I was like, and he was like, What? And I said, I think I want to be a psychologist.
0: That is so back funny. to school.
1: And he looked at me and he's like, That's amazing. If you want to do that, you should do that. And let me tell you, you'll always have a place here. And he lied, but hes you'll always have a place here. But go follow that. Do that. Because I can see that you can be anything you want to be here. But you can do way more. And so. And you're
0: 20, 28, you said? 27? I was 27 at that point. Okay.
1: And so. Wow, uh, dude. I applied to, uh, one school, which was a Christian school, um, down in Newburgh, Oregon. And within one week I got an acceptance letter. And so I was like, that's God telling me I, that's the way I got to go. And so wow. I went and I enrolled and I, I quit that job and I just went to school and I made sure that I got extra help with, uh, writing and reading and made sure that, um, I actually took a few less courses than a full load for the first year to make sure that I was going to follow through. Um, and, uh, you know, I actually did that when I first got sober, too. I first got sober. I didn't tell my parents or anything that I was sober until I made sure that I knew I was going to actually follow through with it because I'd done it so many times that I didn't I didn't want to let them down again. And yeah. so I did the same thing with school as I went to school with I think I had 13 credits the first semester and I just focused on doing the writing and and doing that stuff. But I did take a psychology course because I couldn't not. Um, I was so into learning about why people did what they did and what was getting in the way of people making their goals or, or any of that. Um, and I knew what my story was and I'm pretty sure that everybody has a story, maybe not like mine, but similar to it. And, you know, it, it doesn't matter what the what the story is or what the drama or the trauma is or what the stressors right. are they're real to us and if we hold on to them we get stuck in them and so we got to let them go and learn how to let them go and that's one thing that i wanted to learn in psychology is how to help people let go of that shit
0: wow uh, again i can relate totally relate this is my this is how i'm getting my degree in psychology is i'm just interviewing people <laughs> <That's a good laughs> so, idea. It's, yeah. it's an amazing way to go <laughs> Yeah. But no, I, I, I get, I, again, I totally can relate. Cause it's like, you know, I, I, I've buried myself for, for years in books, as you can see, um, to, you know, way before I ever got sober, I, 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 I was like, I got to figure out what's going on with me. What's up? Like, you know, and so Tony Robbins has the answer or this person or yeah. that person. I was like, um, so I can relate to that. And I think, Probably a lot of people can relate to that, you know. Like we're, I, yeah, we're all seeking the truth about life and us and why we're here and all of that. So I, I think that, um, that's that's really cool, dude. Ha, so do, I guess you got a GED before you went to. So <laughs>
1: GED is another funny story. Um, uh, probably in 1989. Um, yeah. I, I I cracked. Uh, I had somebody drive into my car when I was sitting at a 7-Eleven. Uh, exit to drive out and they just drove in like they were going to go into 7-eleven and then pulled out all of a sudden took my took the front of my car off and so uh, I had a $500 deductible and so my mom taught me well and she uh, she made a deal with me that if I went and went to school for my GED she said if you go to school for your GED and you get your GED I'll pay you the $500 to get your car fixed I wasn't working at that time and so I was like let me get this straight if I get my GED you'll give me the 500 to get fixed, get the car fixed. And she says, yes. And at this point um, I was sober for about a year and um, my mom had me contract with her for everything we did. And so that basically means when we agree on something, we both sign it and then she follows through on her side of things and I follow through on my side of things. Uh, wow. And so I wrote the contract saying upon receipt of GED, mom will give Terry $500 for the, the, the deductible. And so she signed it, I signed it, I went up to the local community college, took the GED test, passed that day, brought it back down to her and she got pissed. And so then she brought me to uh, the therapist I was seeing at that time and says, he cheated and she's like, you signed it. Um, And so that was (laughs) her education in contract negotiation. And my my beginning of contract negotiation is like, what does the thing really say? And so- um, I was supposed to go to a class for for 6 months and then take the GED but I couldn't oh. see myself doing that. Um and so I got it that. So day
0: you just and went I, and took it and passed yeah.
1: it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, And I mean she look,
0: she's like I don't have the $500, Terry. I'm sorry. Well, she had
1: it. <laughs> she definitely <laughs> had it. I didn't want to give it to him. Um but you know yeah. uh, she followed through and gave me the money and got my car fixed but that's how I got my yeah. GED. Um oh, wow. and so that was covered um when I went wow. when I went to school. And so, That's yeah, I got my d and then um, I went to George Fox, uh, which was a uh, Quaker school for two years. And then I ended up uh, transferring down to California to USC and wow. I got my my B.A. from USC. And then I went to a little school called Argosy University that is no longer uh, in existence the way it was. But uh, amazing, amazing uh, psychology education. And it was a very, very depth psychology with some of the uh, huge people in, um, psychodynamic and attachment theory. That's, wow. that's where I really focused on my education is really attachment based psychology.
0: So I know there's a lot of, of different, um, I mean, I am familiar with like Gestalt and, and, yeah. and then Viktor Frankl Frankel, um, whose grandson has actually been on this show. Wow. Um, but he can't, you know, he had, has, came up with logo therapy, which I yeah, know. Nothing about. Therapy, yeah. yeah. Um, but you know, there's, so there's, I know there's a lot of different forms. Was there anything that, that made you go, this is the one I want, I, I want to. Yeah. You know? So when I was
1: at USC, I was working, uh, at LA child guidance and LA child guidance was a, a guidance center for, uh, severely emotionally disturbed kids. And uh, the severely emotionally disturbed kids that had attachment issues with uh, parents who were either killed or in jail or or prison or um, parents that disappeared and they were in group homes. And so um, just really uh, devastated uh, families. And I was I was working with these kids and, uh, you know, the the therapy or the therapeutic school that I was working at was really uh, cognitive behavioral based. And these kids didn't respond to it very well, and they had um, uh, a point system, and you have to earn points to get this and that. And it was very, very behavioral modification kind of thing, and I just watched these kids uh, have more and more problems around it, and so mm. I knew that there had to be something else. And so I started researching a little bit, and I ran into this guy named Daniel Hughes, who talked about attachment and how these kids had more of an attachment disorder than uh, a cognitive or behavior disorder. And the behavior was a result of the attachment, which is an emotional thing. And so I really started to geek out on that. And then we had a guy named uh, Dr. Eagle, I can't, Morris Eagle. Um, And he was an attachment expert at Argosy. Um, And so when I got into grad school, and I knew that he was there. And then we had my the, the professor that ran the whole school uh, was a guy named Mark Lubin. And he was uh, a student of Bruno Bettelheim, who is another big name um, in, in uh, object relations psychology. And so I started to really geek out on this to answer the question of what was going on with these kids at LA Child Guidance. And what it was was that they had uh, severe attachment issues and so what's
0: that what does that mean what i I, i'm not tracking like what's that mean
1: no no what that basically means is we all have an internal working model of the world based on emotion not thought and so our emotions are all unconscious and they're sitting creating protection systems for us that are the automatic patterns that everybody talks about in nlp or or cognitive or schema therapy and these automatic patterns are really actually emotional triggers that we're 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 uh not knowing that we're protecting against but if i'm starting to feel frightened i start protecting against it and protect myself if i'm starting to feel worthless i start putting patterns in in place of uh, that that are basically entitlement to protect myself if i'm feeling um powerless, then I, I I put patterns in that, that are anger or, or aggression to protect myself. And so every pattern that we have is a basic pattern of protection to us based on an emotions that's triggered. And so the idea of attachment is we have an overwhelming desire to connect with people while we also have the same overwhelming desire to protect ourselves from them. And so I want to connect to you, Ken, but I also want to protect myself. So I got this push-pull thing going on. Right. Always looking for where I got to protect myself, although the desire is to connect. And so the desire
0: is to connect. The need is protect. Is that in everyone? Yes. So literally everybody on this planet's walking around a little bit crazy. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, and and, and and I mean
1: that's but, crazy, dude. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and the thing is, is our thinking <laughs> is is. Uh, and and I talk about this when I'm, when I'm working with people or when I'm presenting the idea um, that we have 50 to 80,000 thoughts a day, right? 50,000 to 80,000 thoughts a day. And it's all permeating from our emotion. And so if we're emotionally regulated, (laughs) Nick says I am. um, and, and, And so if we're, if we're emotionally regulated, those thoughts are pretty clear and we're pretty direct and we're moving forward towards our goals and things are pretty good. But, if we're actually emotionally dysregulated or we, we, uh, we are, are triggered, those thoughts start to become about protection. And, and if you're really, really uh, like I was when I was little, uh, really paranoid around needing to protect myself, I could see everything as a threat. Even if you said, Hey, you're a good guy. It's like, Oh, okay. He wants something from me. And like, what, what? And so <laughs> right. we, we start to, we start to, you know interpret all of this stuff through our head but it's really our emotions that are off track
0: okay so, so 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 hang on yep yeah. the emotions are off track cuz i i'm i can think of a handful of people even myself in the past and probably even today where you know you do these things that are patterns in in your life right and they become like And then I've, I've done that where I'm like, okay, okay. I feel, feel like everything's going well. It's the going in the direction I want it to go now or whatever. And that thing I was all worried and concerned about is no longer. And, and then bam, something happens and it's like, crap, that's the same thing that happened before. Like what? So, and I think everybody experiences that. On, on some level. Everybody what how, Okay. So if it's all, if it's all emotion driven, because I, Dr. Joe Dispenza, I love Joe Dispenza and I love what he teaches and talks about. And he says, you know, that the, the 60 plus thousand thoughts a day that we have, 95% of them are unconscious and they're controlling everything we do in life. Like how many times have you blinked in the last minute? No, nobody knows. Because it's happening unconsciously, right? Right, right. It says that 50% of those those thoughts or stories that we're telling ourselves all the time are made up, that we're embellishing the the truth in in our own lives. Absolutely. So so how the so we're we're talking about thoughts, but we're also talking about emotions. Where is the diff what's the differentiator and how do you how do you establish some sort of control system or mechanism over that? Right. And,
1: and so the, the interesting thing is, is um, if, if you've ever had a moment of emotional balance, you notice that your head is quiet. Yes. Right. And so yep. when all emotions are, are in balance, our head is quiet because we have nothing to protect and we have nothing to really, can, we're just, we're just experiencing And so the way I kind of uh, distinguish and help people understand: number one, first and foremost, that uh, uh, anger is a behavior; it is not an emotion. Um, And people say that again
0: for the people in the back: anger
1: is a behavior, not an emotion. And the behavior is the aggressive uh, uh, movement towards something to scare it off, kind of idea. And where it comes from is a feeling of powerlessness. Sometimes a power of use, uh, a feeling of, of uselessness or, or uh, even even uh, being frightened. We go powerful and we we get aggressive. And so it's a feeling of powerlessness that we're experiencing. But the behavior is aggression and the behavior is anger. And so uh, when when we start to realize that it's like, oh, OK, I'm angry. I am I am behaving angrily. Because I'm feeling powerless, I'm feeling invalidated, I'm feeling inferior. And so I'm gonna show them and let them know and I'm gonna push them back in order to feel safe again. Because also if I'm feeling powerless, I'm feeling unsafe. And so each emotion that we have triggers the other emotions. Um, And I actually have this model uh, and I I made it in 1998 or something like that where I had this uh, dowel and I had these CDs, do you remember CDs? They're, yeah. I know they're, they're an old thing, kind of like tape tapes, but uh, I put these CDs and I, I'd label them like shame and uh, in, inferior and invalidated and powerless. And I hit one and it would start hitting the others and they'd go back and forth like chimes. And I believe that that's how our emotions are is each emotion triggers the other one. Embarrassed triggers hurt, hurt triggers discouraged, discouraged triggers attacked. And so we we feel all of these, when one goes, they all go. And so we have all these emotions triggered and we're not aware of it. And we have to identify them in order to stop them triggering the other ones. And once we identify them, then we start to actually be able to think more clearly and share our emotional experience.
0: So, okay. I I have... (laughs) I'm sorry. This is not for anybody watching. This is, I'm being very selfish now. Um, what's your time? (laughs) So, so, okay. When, when, when that, that occurs, um, the, the fear of embarrassment, the fear of judgment, all of those things that trigger those emotions, negative emotions, because there's positive emotions, happy Um, I'm going
1: to say that there is no negative or positive. It's We either like them or don't like them. But um, really, uh, frightened is not negative. Or inferior isn't negative. If I feel inferior and I'm doing a crappy job, it's my little trigger to go, wait a minute. I might need some education or I might need some practice around that. And so it's not a negative emotion. I just don't like it.
0: Okay, but it's negative to me. (laughs) Well, it's negative to you, You don't like it. But now you're really embarrassing works. me. I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. So, so but how okay. are you so embarrassed? Oh. I, I don't. I Yeah. How's that make you feel? Um, no, so, terrible. Yeah. <laughs> but, 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 you know, uh, so you, I've 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 been there where I'm like, I know that if I'm I'm feeling a um, certain way. It will produce negative results in my life if I continue feeling that way. Right. And it will, you know, and I say it
1: doesn't produce negative, it just produces results I
0: don't like. That produces, yes, right, right. Consequences
1: that are detrimental to my success. Yes. Right. Right. So um, people like to say negative. I I don't like that word for the simple reason that it's negative. But but it, it honestly honestly it's like we we start to categorize these as negative and, and anything negative we try to avoid. And one of the big things for me is I don't want to avoid my emotions. They're not negative. They teach me something, no matter if if they're they're a, a, a victim based emotion or if they're a, a fear based emotion or if they're a faith based emotion or or they're they're moving me towards something. In fact, it's honestly better to identify the victim based emotions because that's what's holding me up. And everybody gets this idea that they want to they want to think positively and that's a bias. Positive yeah. thinking is a bias that gets us in trouble more often than not because we're living this hopefully things are going to work out when really we're not doing anything different except living a pattern of hopeful.
0: Okay. And so, the question that I really have
1: is, who doesn't want to be balanced and intentional in their life?
0: Right. my My question is, when these emotions embrace the suck, <laughs> when these emotions occur, and I don't like those particular emotions, um, and I know that the the it's going to set off a chain of other emotions and and reactions possibly to those emotions um when when those occur and i want to change that emotion now is there is there a methodology to that i mean these are some of these uh, historical because i know how to do i know how to do it um but sometimes it takes me a while to remember (laughs) right (laughs) and and honestly
1: um uh, you know tony robbins and, and all of the gurus that have learned the the that you can change your state um you you can change your physiological state yes but it doesn't change your emotions for uh for the half a moment you might think it did but if your emotions triggered right and if you're if you're frightened and you talk yourself out of being frightened by some of these little tricks that we do and you go back into the situation, you can get frightened again. Sure. And, and one of the things that that I think you know, and, and I've said this to you before, there's there's a few people in this world that are so emotionally balanced that they don't realize that other people in the world, which is most of us, are not emotionally balanced. And, and I'll, I'll go um and, and back for a minute and say that you know the uh, the attachment disorder kind of thing. We all have somewhat of a disordered attachment because it's wherever we started protecting against our our our, uh, our caregivers that we created this pattern of protection. And some of us actually had really good upbringings and real uh, there for us parents who we didn't have to protect against right away. And some of us had to protect right away, and some and and part of it is i'm i'm a protector from the beginning and and just more scared so i protect earlier so i'm going to have more of an attachment issue or i'm i'm just really connected to the parents and and i i'm and i'm not talking about codependent connection but i'm talking about like um a a faith-based connection that i know they're there i know i'm okay i know and and i just and it's not a a knowing up here it's a knowing down here right right and so there's some people that just know so strongly that they're okay nothing really flaps them and we we know a couple of them and Tony Robbins I believe is one of those guys and so he goes to mindset because he's so pretty okay uh emotionally grounded that he doesn't even think about emotion because it doesn't trigger him right he doesn't get triggered that way right right and so it's almost invisible to him right And, and so um he, he's right in what he's teaching if the emotions aren't at play. But if the emotions are at play, and so the, the the answer to your question is, how do I change my emotional state? Well, I have to identify the emotions that were triggered in three to five words. And so if I'm embarrassed, I'm embarrassed because I just tripped and everybody saw me. Done. And just acknowledging it and admitting that it was there. Makes it kind of go away because now I got honest with myself. I'm hurt. Identify how I'm hurt, right? Oh, I'm bleeding. Okay, I can put a bandaid on it, and the bandaid might not solve it, but it it it, it it's a move towards healing the wound. And so right. I start to become healed. Um, right. I'm feeling discouraged. Well, if I can admit I'm feeling discouraged, then I can also ask for help. I'm feeling powerless. Again, I can ask for help. And most of the emotions, when we identify them, it gives us a good idea of what to do next, which is ask for help or, or say more about how we felt that. But it's really identifying your own emotion and not pointing the finger at somebody causing it because nobody caused our emotions. They triggered them. And so Ken, you could do whatever you want to, and you don't cause me to feel something. You trigger an emotion that was already ready for me to be triggered. Right. And so so,
0: you, so, when somebody says, you made me mad.
1: <laughs> right. Uh, well, what you did is something they didn't like. Right. They felt powerless, and they probably felt inferior, and they felt embarrassed, so they got mad instead of identifying the emotion.
0: Wow. That's powerful, dude. This is a master class, you guys. Like, this is incredible. So, so let me ask you this. I can't even believe we've been on here 50 minutes already. That's insane. Oh, geez, neither. <laughs> wow. So, so let me ask you this. For you know, um, let me let me think about how to frame this question. I I always ask every guest this question. And, and I want to preface this by saying that I think that happiness is related to finances. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> I, and I'm going to, here's why I'm going to say I've been broken, homeless. I was homeless in Seattle actually. And, and, and I, I've, it's I've sleepless been in Seattle. No, I was homeless and sleepless, <laughs> but, but, but the, you know, I've, I've been broke and I've been, I've been Wealthy and, and, and quite honestly, wealthy is way better. And, and from an emotional standpoint, I felt, I feel way better when I have a lot of money than when I'm worried about how I'm going to, you know, get my next meal. So my, my, so with that being said, what do you think, in your opinion, holds people back from having everything and I'm talking the the financial well-being call it wealth call it whatever you want um but the financial well-being and just freedom freedom to choose do be whatever you want to do choose or be what is holding people back in life from having it all
1: yeah uh a great question and and um I'll I'll start off by saying that happiness is actually a behavior because you can see it. The emotion is joy. Mm. Um, And so the emotion, you can't see if somebody's joyful, but you can see that they're happy. And so um, you can see somebody actually acting happy too. And that's how you know that it's a behavior. Joy you can't fake. Um, It's just a thing that permeates from somebody and you can feel it and it's an experience, right? And so I think that uh, to answer the question about money is... Um, money is really a, a scorecard of how well you're doing at moving forward towards your goals. And the thing that's getting in the way of people actually getting towards their goals or having the money that they want or, or, or achieving what they want in life is their self doubt and their feelings of worth and their feelings of powerlessness and their feelings of inferiority that are so unconscious. They don't know that that's the thing that's doing it. And they live in this idea of trying to prove themselves not that
0: mm. and they
1: live in the red and I, I'm, I'm talking about emotion like the red, the protection from right. feeling worthless and feeling powerless. And so they protect themselves by trying to prove their power and trying to prove their their uh, their entitlement and trying to prove that they should be up here. And what happens is they end up in this ring of fire where they're trying to prove these emotions aren't true. Meanwhile, they feel them constantly. And so they feel the self-doubt. They feel the, the, the neglect of themselves, even, in fact. And they feel the rejection. And they feel the, the, the inferiority, trying to prove superiority. And, and not superior to anybody else, but superior to how they feel. Right. And so they, they live in this idea of trying to prove themselves something other than what they really feel. And all they are is stuck in their emotion, and they don't know it. And so, when we can actually clear that emotion by identifying it and letting it go, it goes away. And I, I do this thing when when I'm talking to people, when I'm working with them, if we if we are talking about emotions, is I have them imagine this idea of this chest with all these uh, vulnerable emotions or the, these raw emotions as water balloons, heavy, holding them down. And as we examine each one, we pull it out, and it turns into a helium balloon and floats away. And so it's not about the thing that you're doing. It's about the thing that you're experiencing, the emotion that you're experiencing. And so it doesn't matter if I'm trying to have a a billion dollar negotiation or if I'm having a $10 an hour job interview. If I'm feeling worthless, it's going to come through in, in that event. And it's the emotion that holds me back, not the thing. And then what I do, if I fail it, is I make some excuse about that person or that situation, and then I'm going to go try again, and I'm going to try to prove I'm good this time. But all mm. I'm doing is I'm reacting to the emotion instead of uh, uh, silencing the emotion, identifying it, and and calming down, and then being able to go in from a balanced, intentional position.
0: So so people, but there are people who have the pattern of of almost repeating the same behaviors of, of being almost borderline psychotic behaviors. Um, we, we may know a few of those people too, but, um, you know, how, how, do you, how do you interrupt that pattern for somebody and, and help them because you're saying everything is emotion. Um, maybe you didn't say everything, but you're saying it, it's, yeah, it's, I made, that. <laughs> okay so it's emotion <clears throat> and and again i i think about this book right here it's it's really has not a lot to do with thinking and and they he even says it in there that you've got to generate that burning desire which would be a, an emotion right, that right. you've got it's an emotion right. that
1: you have to passion and and actually a guy named right. Larry Winget you, you probably know who that is but larry he, winget says uh, oh larry yeah, winget, yeah. Uh, yeah he's been on the show almost Passion is almost uncontrollable emotion. Do you want that running your business? Um, <laughs> right. right <laughs> I'm like, right. um, but what yeah. you want to do is you want to actually identify the emotion that's uncontrollable, because really all emotions are uncontrollable, but they're experienceable, and so we okay. want to experience them and let them go, just like clouds, because they're not going to affect us when we're allowing them to go through us and we're not avoiding them. The big problem is the resistance to the emotion that everybody calls negative. And it's like, it's not negative. It's giving us some really good information about ourselves. If we are able to sit in it for a half a second and that's all it takes and then let it go instead of try to come up with new stories that that's not true. Or it's terrible and we need to get rid of this negative emotion. You don't need to get rid of negative emotion. It doesn't exist. You need to identify emotion and let it go and share it. Wow.
0: Okay. So what about a narcissist? What emotion are they feeling? (laughs) Uh,
1: Narcissist, you know, uh, there, there is onslaughts of information. I even saw somebody on LinkedIn saying that they're a narcissist recovery specialist. It's like, what does that mean? And by the way, you're an LPC. And so, that's okay too, but you can't call yourself a psychotherapist in Portland, Oregon, if you're not a psychologist. There, that's a rule, and the, and so there, there's all kinds of weird things around this stuff. But the the fact of the matter is, is narcissism is a class B or or uh, uh, it's it's a um, it's a um, cluster B personality disorder, and it's got specific. Uh, um diagnostic criteria for it. I'm losing my mind around this. Uh but the the fact of the matter is, most people that are calling people narcissists are actually more. If you want to actually classify them into a personality disorder, it would probably be more towards antisocial personality where they're disregarding the rights of others. Narcissists honestly, um are are really afraid of people seeing them the wrong way, and they want to be an attractive person to people, and they're not. And so narcissists are fairly harmless, except to themselves. But um, the narcissistic rage is what people see, and it's when I actually, as if I'm a narcissist, I have such a blow to what I conceptualize myself as. I have a big temper tantrum. And it's it, and it's it's at you, and so oh my god, that's yeah. narcissistic rage. Narcissism is really uh, mis mislabeled, and really what it is is wow. if somebody's a narcissist, I don't like how they treated me, and I'm pointing the finger at somebody, going they're a narcissist. Well, you got three pointing back, you might want to look at yourself. Just saying, <laughs> right? Um, and 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 you know you're a jerk. Okay, I better look at me. Um, it doesn't matter what we're calling people we got to actually look at how we're contributing to that behavior and the biggest contribution to most behavior. And I'm not talking about kids in a situation, but I'm talking about anybody over the age of, uh, you know, 15 or 16. If you're having problems with a person over and over and over again, your main problem is you're staying in it. Why are you staying there? If it's, if it's so damaging, right. And really the the bigger piece that that all of us have is we think boundaries are drawing lines of the sand. You can't do that to me. Well, you tell me something I can't do. I'm going to prove you can't. I can't. You're <laughs> right there. And and so the line in the sand saying people can't do that to me. I'm not going to allow this in my life. Well, you're not going to be able to stop it by not allowing it in your life. You're just challenging the world in in a in a powerful entitled way. And what you really want to do is go. I don't like this in my life. I feel invalidated. I feel hurt. I Mm. feel disappointed. And you want to share that with whoever's doing that. And then they will go, oh my God, if they're they're connected to their own self and connected to this world at all, they'll go, oh my God, I didn't know you felt that way. Stop. And it's amazing how when we actually share emotionally, people go, shoot, I didn't know you were feeling that. I don't want you to feel that because I care. Mm. But we have so much mindset world where I think you shouldn't do that so you shouldn't do that and then the other person goes well I think I should so I should and we're all in the mind or the ego and it's egos fighting together instead of emotion sharing and connecting
0: i i you know some of the things you've said i i just aren't you've nailed it man i I think about um the past i've i've you know had a financial situation or whatever going on in my life and i I I talk to somebody that is considered, you know, I know a lot of huge celebrities that are guru level, you know, spiritual people. And I'll explain the situation and, and they I feel in the moment like they they just can't really relate to that. So they say, well you know, maybe have a more positive outlook on it or, or something. Right. And, and so I, I think about that and I think, you, man, you're, you've nailed it because there are people that are so advanced emotionally with themselves that they can't, they can't relate to the, the, um, the outcomes in, in other people's lives based on their emotions. If I'm yeah. making. Yeah, yeah, totally, totally, and and some
1: of those people I've I've ran into a, a few people that are very very highly uh, adjusted emotionally, and then I talk to them about this model, and they're like, oh my god, I never realized that. But yeah, I I do that all the time. I I, I check in with my I, I identify that stuff all the time. And yeah. I, I know you do. I can see it. I can see yeah. that person doing it because the person who's not is reacting, and the person who is steps back and kind of takes stock for a second. And, yeah. and what I talk about is like uh, the, the emotional identification gives us like a one to five second um, cushion between that initial reaction and then an intentional action. And so these people have that, that well, they, they have that cushion built in where they identify how they were experiencing it. Yeah. And then they're able to intelligently ask a question. Did you mean to say that? Did you mean that when you said that? And and they they they're much more curious about it instead of saying you can't do that to me. And and there's there's just a different quality to how they walk into a situation.
0: Yeah. And
1: I mean, I'm amazed with those people when they can do that because I I had to learn it and I'm still learning it. And, and uh, I mean, it's it's not easy to be emotionally regulated all the time. And so yeah. I gift from God when they are.
0: So, so let me ask you this when, you know, years ago, 14, 15 years ago, my wife and I opened up our very first little office, had a handful of employees within six months. And, um, and then one day I'm on the phone, this dude that worked for me, big guy walks in, he goes, Hey, there's a guy looking in the windows of your SUV out in the parking lot. And I'm like, you're bigger than me, dude like tell him you know whatever that <laughs> and he's like he's got it blocked with his tow truck and I'm like oh, he's here to take my car and and he did. I don't know if you've ever tried to talk a tow truck driver out of taking your car, but um it's a repo yeah, guy they're,
1: they're re- re- relatively rigid around that.
0: Yeah, Not and so <laughs> yeah. So I, I'm standing in the parking lot with my employees watching my car get towed away and I can remember and I was two years, two and a half, three years, four years, so I maybe long. No, I was it was longer than that, seven years sober. Um and and I can the way count. I count it. <laughs> yeah, I, I I remember thinking, what's the point of being alive? What, like, why why even why am I doing all this? Why am I here? This is ridiculous. And I, for a very split second, I thought I don't even want to be here anymore. Like, this is ridiculous. And and you know, I think back to the lockdowns and the pandemic and the and all the the that crap and and you know, the suicide rates skyrocketed not just here in the U S but around the world. What do you say to somebody if they called you and said, Terry, I've tried everything. I don't know which way to turn. I don't know what to do. I don't even want to be here anymore. What's the point of going on? What do you say to them to, because you, you know, I know I see everything is it's going to pass eventually, no matter what's going on. Eventually, and so the, the
1: the short answer there is I say, wow, what you're going through really sounds like it's terrible. And then I move right into emotions. How are you feeling embarrassed right now? How are you feeling hurt? How are you feeling untrusting? And I don't let them go on for an hour on how they're feeling each one. Just three to five words of how you're feeling that right now. And what I'm doing is I'm actually regulating their emotion because their thinking is so loud that they're giving me all of the the verbal puke of whatever the problem is, but they're not identifying what's going on. And as soon as they identify it, well, I'm embarrassed because somebody just towed my car in front of the people who I'm supposed to be impressing. Right. I'm hurt because I can, I I recognize right now in this moment that I'm not as good as I thought I was at everything. (laughs) I'm feeling untrusting because I don't know what else they're going to come back and take, right? right? I'm feeling discouraged because I've been trying so hard to get ahead and now I'm behind again, right? And so it's just in that short little okay, I'm acknowledging where I'm at in this moment. Yeah. And when we can acknowledge when we get in the moment, we go through the emotions. Is like okay, so now what can we do? Mm. And 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 the sound is gone. The sound is just absolutely gone from your mind about that whole situation is like well i can go back to work i can call the tow company i can i or or if the if it's a repossession i can call the i can call the company and and talk to them about what we can do okay great so let's put a plan together now we can actually plan logically because we've got our emotions out of the way Right. And then we move forward very
0: easily. Wow. Dude. Wow. That's powerful. That's very powerful. We're over an hour. Um, well, can I have a meeting online. that is starting? <laughs> oh, geez. Um, so Terry, anything else? Where, where can everybody follow you? I didn't, um, I didn't They follow me on LinkedIn.
1: I'm, I'm all over LinkedIn, evidently. Do you have a uh, website? I have a website. It's generatorcc.com.
0: Generator.
1: CC. Generator. T O R. CC.com. Okay. And Is that uh, up right there? that's it. And okay. then you can uh, find me on LinkedIn, Terry Wager on LinkedIn. Not Wagner, Wager. Uh, Wager. Ken's got it right. Just the name right above <laughs> um, Terry Wager on LinkedIn, and uh, I post up. and And what we work with is we work with individual and team performance. Um, and I work with a lot of multi multi unit uh, franchise owners, and I work with small business owners.
0: Wow! Everybody, make sure you go to Generate Tour dot com um, follow Terry on LinkedIn and, and everywhere else. Terry, you freaking rock, dude. Thank you for, for coming on and, and sharing so much wisdom with everyone, man. You're amazing. Appreciate you brother. If you can stay with me for a minute, I'm going to wrap this up though. And I know you got it. So, all right, everybody have a great day. Make sure you go follow Terry. Thank you so much for sharing this out, if you did, and we will see you all later. Have a great day.